Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Ronkle and the Mayor. It's a crisp, cool morning here in uh, Selwood in Portland. Just went for a 3.12 mile walk. Uh, had to gear up a little bit because it is super windy. It was about 30 last night, so uh, no ice or anything like that because there's no moisture. So I got both my gas, outdoor fire, my fire tower, and my fire table ready to go for this week because I'm going to hang out and have some adult beverages and uh, sit by the fire and uh, yeah. So let's see what's going on. The walks have been pretty good, although um, uh, on that note, I have been in uh, Los Angeles, specifically Silver Lake. And what I did in Silver Lake uh, was I climbed these things called Esther's Steps. And it's a series of steps that have been saved by the local park uh public park service and uh, I guess just the community anyway they, uh, a lot of Silver Lake is kind of winding around these little hills and they're the neighborhood I stayed in off of Lucille Street um, at an Airbnb was just around the corner and I just happened to see this I didn't know anything about it but Esther's steps or the series of steps um, I'd say I checked my phone, which isn't always accurate, but it was like 2,500 to 3,000 steps uh, walking down this little hill up the stairs and then back down around to my place. But the steps, this woman, Esther, she climbed them daily for 50 years, and I did it two days in a row. Now, day one, it's, it kind of blasted my lungs out. Um, uh, it's just steep, and even on the part where there's no steps, it's this really steep incline, and uh, you just keep on walking until you get to the top. The other interesting thing about this was you go right through some backyards. Like, it 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 truly is from another era, uh, this little walkway. So you're right in this person's backyard, and one of the sets of stairs, you come out, and you're closer to the person's front door than you are the street. Um, so... You know, it's sort of an interesting thing. Now, you don't get a lot of traffic, but I did see a group of family. They were all in these uh, matching purple shirts, something about saving California from something, and they were all hiking. I think it was like a fitness group. They were obviously a family, and they, they hiked it up the first day. Anyway, you um, you come out in this person's driveway and then walk to the street, and then you go up another set of stairs. I thought I was done. I actually turned around and took a picture of, I think, what was what would be Burbank. Excuse me. And uh, I turned around and realized, oh, shoot, <laughs> there's even more stairs. And it kind of reminded me of the Exorcist stairs, um, which I believe are in Georgetown. Um, just super steep. Um, I kind of like these sort of things. I've seen a couple of other stairways in the Los Angeles area. One of them was in L.A. proper a couple of years ago that people like to run up and uh, head to some sort of trail. Anyway, this was pretty cool. I did Esther's steps two days in a row, blasted out my lungs the first day. The next day, I was you know, just sort of sluggish and heavy when I got to the top um, and pretty tired. So today on my walk, I realized about halfway through my body realized, oh, we're not we're not climbing extreme hills today because I, I do. It's mostly flat and mild up and down here um, on my my walk. Anyhow, I did notice that my my body uh, had little bits of soreness, you know, around my my uh, lumbar and my back, you know, just uh, n nothing too big. It didn't hurt. Just you could tell like, wow. Even though I walk every day, these hills really took a took a chunk out of me. Um, 
anyhow, uh, that was pretty cool. Um, and back here in Selwood in uh, Portland, in my little neighborhood, we got speed bumps. Uh, I think I might have mentioned that. Uh, but the other big thing is now they're at the end of my street is one of the country's most heavily used bike paths, the Springwater Corridor. And for and they finally paved it this last year, and it's all beautiful now. They've extended it all the way through Selwood, so you can get to Gresham. You can get anywhere in Portland on the corridor and basically avoid cars. Now, there are a few cross points, like at the bottom of my street, which is technically a dead end, but there's a, a series of condos down there. Well, for years, there have been a yield sign, which I dare most people in this country tell me what yield means, or, you know, it's some sort of bravado thing. I feel like people take it as a challenge not to slow down or not to yield. Anyhow, now there are stop signs, and some of the neighbors just blow right through it. Well, this is a heavily used bike path by uh, bicycle, bike enthusiasts, runners, walkers, people just getting to work. It's a pretty major thoroughfare for non-motorized vehicles. And uh, as I'm sitting here recording the show, I just watched six dudes ride by on their bikes on the trail. I, I can see it from the, my makeshift recording studio here. <laughs> uh, so it's it's fairly popular i would say it's like a you know a casually used uh street if you're just comparing it to a normal car traffic but these several of these neighbors one woman will will out her here i'm not going to give her a license plate but she is in a white ml350 a crappy model of mercedes suv in my opinion uh not a late model either anyway um she comes tearing around the corner. She barely stops at the stop sign or at the corner of my house. And then she almost hit my neighbor and his father as we were all talking about people who drive like shit. And uh, it it actually startled my neighbor's dad. Uh, he couldn't believe it. Uh, we're all Southern Oregon, uh, Oregon people. They're from Ashland. So uh, we're all like-minded, basically. So we we're just having a nice little conversation and, uh, about bad drivers. And then right on cue, this woman ripped around the corner. Just about buzz. She buzzed the tower, basically, you know, because we were so close. And then she didn't stop. She just drove right through the intersection down there, which is a, a series of a, a little, a slightly used railroad track. It's a short line, more of a hobby that this guy has. Anyway, it's that's rarely used, but they do come by once a day or so, uh, or every other day. We've mentioned this before, and she did, but she just blew through that and the stop signs and. Uh, I'm unfortunately just waiting for the inevitable. Eventually, one of these people coming down, and I don't know why they accelerate in front of my house. My block has two houses on it, and from the stop sign at the corner to the stop sign down there is less than 50 yards. And I say down there, down at the intersection at the bike path. Um, I even looked away as if the listening audience knows what I'm doing and can see me. Uh, anyhow... Uh, so, you know, I'm glad the stop signs are there, but it's kind of created this interesting challenge for the bad drivers of Portland to see if they can kill somebody uh, at speed. And let me tell you, a car traveling at 30 miles an hour, uh, T-boning a cyclist is a fantastic accident. Uh, so uh, as someone, as a car racing enthusiast, uh, T-bones with soft targets, uh, you know, they don't end well. So... Unfortunately, someone's going to get hurt badly, and uh, so I've taken a couple pictures of this person, and I, I'm going to be calling it in, um, because I don't want to be sitting out there sipping my coffee and watch someone get brained uh, one morning. Um, I'd rather just uh, avoid it. 
So anyway, let's keep going on this Selwood thing that got a little dark there for a minute. Uh, I just don't like bad drivers. I try to be as responsible as I can, especially on city roads. It's a whole different story on the highway. I do speed on the highway. I drive 80. <laughs> so um, not all the time, but when I can, I, I, I drive fast uh, on the freeway. So uh, so I'm guilty of that too, but on uh, regular streets where there are kids, animals, schools, churches, people, people going to work, whatever i try to uh, have as little of an impact as possible um yeah anyhow uh selwood is ready for halloween um the community center of course is got some uh, prizes and some things going on basically all day on thursday um there are several other little events i noticed some uh, parties that's sort of the new thing i mean people still trick-or-treat but there's like a party you go to with lots of candy and treats and uh, or you go to some place anyway uh, I'd say my neighborhood is pretty well decked out for Halloween this year. Um, not sure what changed. There has been some turnover. There are a lot of newer, younger than younger than me families in the neighborhood, uh, all with children under five. And we have some people that we have some acquaintances. They have several children. So there are a lot of younger kids around here now that I know of. And I and not having any kids myself, I don't always get to meet people with children because they're um, doing whatever um, whatever the kids need. So anyway, neighborhood, a lot of houses all dressed up and decked out. Uh, mine isn't decked out yet, but I did pull out all the furniture. Like I said, I have my fire tower up. I've got the, uh, Michael Myers Halloween series, uh, marathon DVR and ready to go. Um, my wife does not like scary movies, but basically I'm going to force her to watch, watch them. I'm going to start with Ghostbusters, uh, when the kids are coming to the door just so nobody's really freaked up then we're gonna switch to halloween um yeah so it should be pretty fun i have a projector unit that i put outside that projects these images of you know like casper the ghost friendly ghosts like silly ghosts onto the house um yeah it also has christmas lights new year's whatever it's got all these different configurations so i'm gonna put that up um and uh, light up the house, basically turn on all the candles and everything and uh, get some full size candy. So uh, if you happen to listen to this show between now and Thursday night and you're under the age of 12 and live in Selwood and like IndyCar, I'll have big candy for you. So pretty specific niche group there, but uh, that's cool. Uh, so I will also be handing out uh, adult adult beverages. I got little booze bottles. I've been doing it the last few years and uh, kind of got a cult following of parents uh, who come by to get to get their trick or treat. <laughs> so uh, I'll be doing that again. And uh, yeah, so far it's worked pretty well. A lot of the young parents who don't get out a lot were have been uh, very appreciative, and uh, I just thought it was a good way to kind of meet people. And uh, Halloween should be for everybody. So uh, that's what's going on right now. Um, I will be sitting outside on Halloween watching my movie through the windows. I'm going to open the window and turn on the gas fireplace. I'm going to waste a little energy on Halloween. And yeah. That's pretty much it for Halloween week here in Selwood. Uh, locally, uh, last week, the Timbers and Thorns both lost in the first round of the playoffs. So for the first time in a while, um, there, there, are, there are no Portland teams in the playoffs. Now, they don't win the title every year, but the Thorns have won twice, and the Timbers have, have been twice and won once. So uh, 
and the thorns have actually the thorns have been three times i'm sorry and one twice so you know we've been kind of spoiled here in portland not only do we have uh, great soccer fans the soccer teams have actually uh, been pretty good so uh, disappointing, but they'll be back bigger and better and stronger next year. And, uh, yep, February training camp. I mean, it's basically the baseball schedule. So soccer gets going again in February. All right. That's some pretty good local talk. Let's get back into our IndyCar portion of the show. That's what everybody's tuning in for. So we got a little bit of news. I'm going to bury the lead here um, just because I've missed uh, about a week and a half. It's been difficult with the season not running uh, with races to decide when to do a show. And since I have you know virtually uh, a couple dozen followers, uh, <laughs> for, the, for the most part, there's about 25 of you out there that listen to this show. Uh, it's peaked at around 50 to 60, and then somebody's listening to back shows. But just appreciate everybody listening uh, because I love talking about this stuff. So IndyCar has like an end of the season sort of thing. It's called the Chris, Chris Griffiths Memorial Test, and it's at IMS, and it basically is for any of the lower rank uh, open wheel racers. And so guys qualify for this or they get sponsors or they show up to kind of show off for sponsors and teams. And there's some time trials. Uh, actually, Renus VK, who is going to, going to be moving up to IndyCar, supposedly, because he has a lot of money and backing, and uh, he's a good driver, um, and he's climbed through the ranks. Anyway, he was at the Chris Griffiths test uh, for with Ballardi, who sometimes runs a car in association with another team at the 500, but basically they've been a Road to Indy ladder series team, and they're one of the bigger of the uh, little little teams that run the, the ladder series. So Bellardi, it was interesting that they didn't have a, a driver. So they had Renus VK. Now Renus maybe just be thinking like more seat time is, is what I want. Also, he may sort of be covering his bases. Like if it doesn't work out in IndyCar, he can do another season in lights, uh, which wouldn't be horrible, but uh, he is, he is 19. Now he has climbed through the ranks and he does have a major backer. Uh, so he doesn't want to do a partial season. He's tested twice for Ed Carpenter Racing, but Ed likes to do the ovals and then leave the other fifth, uh, the other thirteen races or so uh, for someone to do the road and street courses. But Renus isn't down with that, and I actually think that it's time for Ed to have three cars, uh, two full times, and his car if he wants to keep driving the ovals. That's fine. Um, anyway, there were 40 road to Indy drivers from 12 countries. They turned 4,700 laps over two days at IMS on the, the road course with the Roval. Uh, it's a, it's a big postseason test for those involved in RTI and the racing schools like Skip Barber uh, and F3 and F4 drivers. Some of those teams like uh, Adam Vinatieri, the former kicker, or I guess he still is a kicker. Um, he has a, a, a small open wheel race team. It's mostly in um, uh, Pro Indy, USF 2000 and F4 and F3 Americas. So he's got some drivers and that sort of stuff. And I don't even understand the F3 and F4 Americas. They have a lot of people doing that, but it doesn't seem like a real road to uh, Formula One, which is what they're sort of angling for. And it's definitely competition for the lower ranks, the RTI guys, the road to Indy. Um, so it takes away some drivers and some money. I think, uh, if, if they could figure it out with a balance of performance thing, I'd like to see more of these lower series kind of race each other. 
cars are very similar at uh, you know you can with bout with BOP balance and performance they could sort of figure it out they could add weight to somebody's car they could down tune something slightly keep the horsepower similar anyhow uh, big test day a lot of, a lot of guys out there there are actually hundreds of drivers just 40 happen to be within our ranks we'll call it our team the indie car hopefuls um, so uh, it was a pretty successful thing uh, a lot of laps turned a lot of good young drivers uh, guys honing their skills not only in the car but trying but talking to sponsors and potential uh, teams and uh, so uh, you're kind of looking into all that. And the road to Indy isn't just for the drivers. It's also for teams, mechanics, managers, engineers. So those type of people are trying to show off their skills too uh, at these tests. It's one more chance. It's almost like a big race weekend. It's like a Grand Prix. Um, so yeah, th that's that's it for the young guys. I don't, I don't focus in on it uh, too much. Actually, this last season was probably one of the worst for me keeping up on the, the road to Indy guys. Um, it was hard because they haven't had very good car counts, which we'll get to in, uh, Indy lights, uh, which has made it difficult for some of the drivers. Um, but this, it, there seems to be a swell, a ground swell going into USF 2000 and Indy pro 2000, which are the two beginning ranks and, uh, the ground swell in the Indy pro with uh, a huge number of drivers, it looks like they're going to have a 26 or 27 people next year in that. Uh, which should help start spilling over into Indy Lights. All three series have gotten their new chassis and new cars in the last two years. So um, people stopped buying the old equipment to save up to buy new equipment, um, yada, yada, yada. They even allowed some of the old equipment this year um, for some of the non-competitive guys in the lower ranks. There's a couple of dudes that are like, you know, in their 30s that are racing in the Indy Pro 2000, and they have no career path, in my opinion. They just have enough money to kind of pretend they're a race car driver. But, hey, if it brings you joy, you know, go ahead and do it. So let's get into the big news. Uh, actually, so Santino Ferrucci with Dale Coyne Racing last year was the, one of the surprise, one of the pleasant surprises of the IndyCar season. He is said to be close to re-signing with Dale Coyne Racing, which is uh, very surprising to me. I thought he would try and move on, but he did have a very good season, and him and Sebastian Bourdais turned out to be pretty good teammates, uh, even though Santino's 20 and Bourdais is uh, 40 or 39, something like that, so he called Santino calls Bourdais dad, <laughs> affectionately, and uh, Santino, who got into a little bit of trouble in previous years in Formula 2, um, lost his test ride with Haas F1, he was basically just being a jerk, um, came over here to back to America, he's from Connecticut, kept his mouth shut, his head down, had a couple of really good finishes, um, and was great all year, he basically finished like 99% of the laps, I think it was the last race of the season when he had some sort of mechanical that, that ended his day, but he'd completed every lap, so that's also pretty good for a rookie, um, I wasn't a huge Danica Patrick fan, but one thing she was very good at was bringing the car home. I think over a six-year period, she actually turned more crash-free laps than anyone uh, during her stint in IndyCar. So, you know, that's sponsors and team owners love drivers that bring the car home in one piece. Now, they love it when you win, but if you don't cause them a, t a ton of damage and tire wear and degradation, that's pretty good, too, because that means in the off week, they're not going to be cutting as uh, too many checks. Anyhow, Santino back at Dale Coin Racing, and uh, here is the big news. Uh, <laughs> let's just say 
McLaren Aero McLaren SP who they uh, they released a new logo the other day it's AMSP it's an A over an M they uh, basically came out yesterday the big news finally dropped they signed the kids Oliver Askew the Indy Lights champ and last season's Lights champ Pat, uh, Patricia Award uh, so Askew brings the scholarship one point three million dollars which pretty much guarantees him three races and the indy 500 uh, most people do the first race the indy 500 and then try to spin it into um the uh, detroit double header uh, some guys actually find a sponsor for the 500 and then they have three other races they can do so it turns into four guaranteed races uh, this is the scholarship money that indycar pays out to the champ um so uh Ask you won that. He also has sponsorship. Uh, a lot of people thought for sure he would get a full-time ride. Ganassi, Chip Ganassi had offered him uh, a partial third car, but then Marcus Erickson got the thir uh, full-time third car at Chip Ganassi. So that kind of knocked Askew out. That was sort of interesting. Um, so Askew brings the money, and Arrow and McLaren are loaded. And then they bring in Patricio Award, uh, who was going to be racing with Harding Steinbrenner last year, but just before the season started, uh, he lost, they did, they couldn't come up with any money, uh, for him. So, uh, Colton Herta was going to be the other rookie on that team and he kicked butt last year. So Pato award wound up, uh, sort of jumping around. He raced for Carlin, uh, and he got like an eight race deal with them. He made it a few races into that. And then Red Bull, who is a personal sponsor, has said they were not going to let him use their money to pay for an IndyCar career because there's no path to Formula One where Red Bull essentially has two teams. So Santino left and went over to Japan to drive Super Formula uh, cars, which are a lot, it's very similar to an IndyCar or Formula One car. It's an open wheel race car. Uh, they don't have a lot of race weekends, um, but they do double headers at each one. So there's like seven or eight race weekends, um, double header races. Um, the the other issue that sort of came up as Award was starting to race in Japan was uh, he was going to be a Red Bull development driver and possibly get a test uh, test drive. But because of the low car counts that I mentioned earlier in Indy Lights, there were less than 12 cars um, for the last couple of years at most of the events, like seven or eight cars. Well, that's too low of a car count to acquire super license points. And you need to accrue super license points to, to actually be able to drive a Formula One car. Now, IndyCar drivers acquire or accrue uh, super license points from the Indy 500. Um, that's a full, that, that gets you a couple of points, actually. But so does racing the IndyCar season or, or racing in events. Uh, IndyCar is, uh, you know, you always has a full field it's fully accredited by fia and everything uh and actually the indy 500 used to be a points race for formula one a lot of guys would duck out of the formula one season and come over and do uh the indy 500 uh, it doesn't happen anymore very often uh fernando alonso you know max chilton these guys who come over from formula one in the last few years, Alexander Rossi, you know, but they basically then stayed in IndyCar. It's pretty hard to kind of pull that off now. So uh, Pato Award, uh, the Red Bull money, basically Red Bull pulled the plug once they realized he could never even drive for them. And uh, he is a Mexican-American, and last week was the Mexico Grand Prix for Formula One, and uh, Aero McLaren ownership and their head guy, Zach Brown, were there. They met with uh, Patricio Award again. They've met with him a few times. And then yesterday afternoon, the announcement was made. So that means that James Hinchcliffe is out. 
um, which I think means that Honda of, of Canada, who is a big sponsor, has got a big paycheck from a, from Sam Schmidt because they switched from Chevy to Honda, kind of screwed him over. So Honda was not going to let them out of that cheap. But now James Hinchcliffe is looking for a ride. I mean, a lot of the rides, the full-time good ones have dried up now. I'm still hopeful that him and his sponsors can put something together and be a third car Ray Hall Letterman uh, Lanigan Racing RLL. Uh, there's also still a chance, I guess, he could go to Andretti and that'd give him like seven cars. Um, he could maybe fit in with Dale Coyne uh, and get a third car there. Uh, but he's also a very popular driver, one of the more popular guys. I mean, he's a national spokesperson. He, he's one of the few IndyCar drivers that's actually on, you know, like midday TV commercials and stuff like that. So losing him full-time would be a, a kind of a blow in my opinion. Now he's an, he's a above average driver, but not, not one of the top level ones I would say. But saying that he is, he is a good athlete. He is a good teammate. Uh, so I, I I think that somebody, a team should try to figure it out, even if they have to eat a little bit of uh, the money. If I were Ray Hall Letterman, I would get Ray Hall, uh, Hinch, and Sato on track together. That's a pretty good trio, for especially for a small team. Uh, so anyway, that was that's the big news. Um, and sort of uh, piggybacking on that, um, I listened to Rob Howden on another IndyCar podcast, um, it's called New Track Record, actually. I highly recommend it. Um, it is the best IndyCar podcast um, as far as uh, sort of fun, uh, flow, the banter's good, and the information is accurate. So anyway, I, I was listening to Rob Howden, and he I actually, I actually met him this last year in Portland. He did, He's like MCs a lot of the question and answer sessions with the Road to Indy guys, and then he's got... Uh, basically the Bible on the road to Indy kids. And he said, it looks like there's going to be 15 cars on the grid, uh, or it's a real possibility for Indy lights, which would basically be like double, uh, essentially. I mean, last year, a few times they had 12, but if they could get 15 cars on track, uh, that'd be a big deal, uh, moving forward. So, um, yeah, and I also think it's time for a couple of ringers, uh, and I mean some fringe IndyCar types that can expand the field and provide high-level competition, uh, and ringers paid by the league. So Dan Anderson owns IndyCar, or Indy Lights, and the, the road to Indy. And he does a lot of the payouts with IndyCar for these scholarships. And car counts have been difficult, but there definitely are some guys that can't quite ever get a full uh, ride in IndyCar, and um, but they still want to keep racing. And I think this is where it's time to start employing some uh, got the league needs to start funding some of the, the low level guys. Maybe they'll make it. Maybe they won't. But just as some uh, some sort of uh, filler for the field, if they could keep three or four of these guys around. And there's lots of guys on the fringe for racing guys like uh, I'll think the guy that was been doing the radio broadcast the last few years after kicking butt in Indy Lights and a little bit in IndyCar. Anders Crone was his name. Real good driver, real good guy. Ran out of money. He's a Norwegian guy, um, you know, and they're just uh, that's it. No more money. Uh, so his career basically faded away. And uh, he went into broadcasting and now he's going into like uh, some sort of he's started a marketing company uh, that helps uh, race teams. Anyway, uh, he would be the sort of a prime example of a guy, you know, if, if they threw him a bone and kept him around, um, 
you know, that would have been good for a couple of years. And maybe it's just something like where, you know, a guy who's in his mid twenties to early thirties gets one last shot, you know, and the league's kind of paying you. Um, this is just me shooting, you know, shooting from the hip here. Um, a lot of race car drivers don't like provisionals, people that just get sort of put on the grid. Um, but I think Indy lights, uh, uh, is, they need to incentivize it somehow. And even if that means getting uh, some of the bigger teams to put te- uh, start lights teams, I, I'm just, I'm not sure something. Anyhow, another racing news. Uh, I watched the SRO Blanc Payne GT world challenge America. That's a mouthful. Uh, they did the Roval at Las Vegas with a couple of makeshift chicanes under the lights. It was pretty cool. Zero attendance. I mean, I, I couldn't believe, I, I don't know how uh, SRO does it? I mean, they're got there's a this really rich dude that owns SRO, and they have a league in Asia, Europe, and America. And there's some overlap with their TC Cup, which are essentially these little Mazdas now, and Civics, uh, Honda Civics. Um, pretty pretty cool stuff, but uh, definitely I'd say only watchable on television unless you want like the place to yourself. Um, but it was seeing it under under the lights, uh, and it was cool to watch on TV. Um, but this is pretty, this is pretty much it for the, the GT three cars, the, the big Bentleys. Um, so uh, they're kind of changing the rules, which kind of makes them go away. And that was like the big draw for SRO America. Um, so I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. I definitely think that the Blanc Payne guys need to figure out more, uh, weekends to do with IndyCar, which I noticed their schedule for next year <laughs> does not. So I, I don't understand them thinking that they're a standalone series. If IMSA doesn't draw crowds and they're a successful series, I, I just don't understand, um, how that how that works completely I, mean, I don't really care i like watching it so the other what else was going on this weekend actually i got up on sunday morning and the european le mans series final round the four hours of port Portima, portugal uh lmp two and three cars to go with gt3 cars um good early racing it just it ended just before the formula one race in uh, mexico city uh, which i did not watch uh lewis hamilton won the race but it went from fifth to first um, I just, formula one is more and more difficult to watch. Um, yeah, it, it's not as open, uh, as they would like it to be. There, there needs to be, uh, the chance for uh, the smaller teams to, to be able to win a race. Anyway, I watched a little bit of the ELMS, uh, finale. Uh, it was pretty cool. Actually, nice course in Portugal. Um, Porto Mayo is where it was. I'd like to go to Portugal. That's a, definitely a, I guess, a bucket list type place. Um, let's see. In other racing news, I, I uh, DVR this show called Apex that runs on NBCSN. And the la- the latest episode that I watched, which I, and I recommend looking this up on NBCSN, or you can just Google it, but the, the cross-country racing, uh, it's highly illegal and dangerous, uh, but the, and they don't put out any information on this stuff until about two years after they do it, or even longer to avoid the statute of limitations. So these guys basically, they this, this guy, uh, well, several of them, but the guy the show focused on, he had this 2005 um, BMW M3, um, 
you know, it's a, he wanted a car that was fast and reliable and powerful, but not, uh, but fairly inconspicuous. So it's just this blue looking sedan. Now they retrofit it with a, a bigger fuel cell. Uh, they put uh, forward looking radar, infrared, all this sort of stuff. So you can like turn off the lights while you drive and be invisible. Um, and they're trying to break the record uh, cross country in under 33 hours or under 31 hours, something like that. They, and they, they do beat it. They beat the record. New York to Los Angeles. It's pretty incredible. And they had to average, you know, over 100 miles an hour, 130 for long periods of time to even make this possible. And the record was actually set like 20 years ago. Um, there was a big one in 73, then another one in the 80s, and then someone in the late 90s. Uh, but it's become more and more difficult as law enforcement has better uh, gadgets and stuff now. And also there's a lot more cars on the road. It's hard to figure out construction schedules, things like that. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of risk involved. And people do get pulled over, and you don't want to get pulled over in some of the red states because law enforcement will arrest you. And I, and I found out that the actually the best state to get pulled over in for high-speed uh, driving is California. They have the most lenient laws uh, for this type of thing. Uh, I didn't even look into it. But anyway, I this reminded me of Tulane Blacktop, which is one of my favorite movies. And it's a couple of dudes that are drag racing across the They're racing across the country, but they stop at all these local drag strips to kick everybody's ass and make money so they can pay for fuel to keep racing across the country. Um, I highly recommend that movie if you can find it. I, I've had to check it out from the library. Uh, you, can't, it's, you might be able to stream it, uh, but I've and I've declined buying it. I probably should just buy it. Um, anyway, that is the news of racing this week. Um, there's probably going to be some more shoes that drop in IndyCar. I'm looking for that elusive or a partnership they talked about. Now, it's probably going to turn out that it was AutoNation becoming the title sponsor of the Coda race. But that's fine with me. So, thanks for listening, everybody. And, uh, yeah sitting here in my my little room the sun has now come up my ginkgo tree outside the window is bright yellow so thanks again for listening thanks for being part of this uh check out the straight dope on at ronkel on twitter and uh be safe out there this week everybody and remember 50 percent of everything is still half of nothing <laughs>